Welcome. Good morning. I am Jeremy. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm really excited that, that we're kind of all together right now to see everyone's wonderful faces and uh, that we get to worship together and, and, and pray together and, 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 and learn and serve together. Um, this is something I'm really excited about, and, and this is, uh, this is, uh, yeah, this is a really good thing. So it's, it's really good to see everyone, and uh, I'm really glad for that, that we get to launch this, you know, kind of this summer. And, um, and so, yeah, so we've kind of gone through all the announcements and, and we've kind of, we've kind of talked through everything. And so we're just gonna, we're, we're going to get started looking at our, our new series, which, uh, I have it up here somewhere. Yep. It's called Organic Faith. And so we're going to be spending a lot of the summer, um, looking at this idea of, 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 of organic faith and like, what does it mean to have real authentic faith what does it mean to cultivate a life with christ that brings sustained growth and not like temporary change that's not about fixing things but actually about seeing something new and and, and transformed and so we're going to go through just like some of the more practical things about that some of the more spiritual things about that and, and and discover something amazing and um uh my my wife so gently brought up you know, all the open seats <laughs> in the front row. And so uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fun as we, uh, as we kind of venture this summer and, and, and explore some things and, and um, you know, constantly get encouraged by Kimberly Kang on, on what you should be doing in the most positive way possible. <laughs> so, um, I'm sorry? Yes, Kimberly Tang. <laughs> Pleasant. All right, so. <laughs> um, so look. We're going to be looking at what faith means today, but we're going to be going on beyond a definition, but, but a framework. Um, and so we're going to be looking at how we viewed it in the past. And so as we get to that, it's not about like what is, what is right and wrong, but we're all going to explore our own definitions and frameworks of what faith is and kind of what God is calling us to in this moment right now. And so Today, we lay the foundation for what will be built in us over the next couple months. And uh, this, this, what we're going to talk about today is going to be critical to grasp as it's going to be kind of be the foundation um, for that, that we're kind of going to build on over these next several, several weeks. And so uh, let's jump in. I want to look at uh, a couple scriptures to start. Mark 6:31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. This is Jesus talking to the 12 disciples. Then in chapter 9, he says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. So I want to start today looking at Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Not so much what he taught, what he said, but their relationship. That's one of the, this is one of the, the key components to the life that we actually miss as we look at scripture. So at first, if we're going to define disciple, we would say that disciple means learner. And so while that is the literal definition of disciple, it doesn't quite capture the fullness of what this means. You see, because when we say learner in our context, in our minds, that that definition is, um, 
is, is mostly an intellectual pursuit, right? Like we are learning to, to, to gain knowledge and information. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, we should be learning. But the thing is about learning is that that's usually confined to a, uh, a compartmentalized part of us. And so learning is usually about here, about our head knowledge. And so when we see, it, when we see learner in this relationship here with Jesus and disciples, it actually is not just the way we think of learning. And that's often how we've also kind of somewhat de- defined disciple. And so learning is a good thing, but it's still an incomplete definition. Another way Jesus' disciples were defined is followers. Now, um, this has a closer definition as it indicates um, something kind of more of a well-rounded experience, right? And so that, that, that's a closer and it gives kind of more practical application. That's not just learning, but, but doing. But that definition is still incomplete for me. It's incomplete because as we look at the relationship that Jesus had with the disciples, it's, we miss that it's more than, than a teacher giving lessons. It's more than a rabbi giving instruction on how to live. It was something closer to an apprenticeship. And so while we still have the concept of, of an apprentice in, in, in our modern world, it's not as normal as it used to be. And so, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a typical learning scenario, the, the instructor, the teacher, the master is, is, is giving a particular set of instructions and a skill set to the receiver, right? To the learner. But in, in an apprentice relationship, the master isn't just giving him information, it's demonstrating a way of life, demonstrating a way of being, demonstrating what it means. If, 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 uh, if an apprentice, if, if a master was like a master blacksmith, right? It's not just teaching how to be a blacksmith, it's teaching the ways of the blacksmith, the, 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 the principles, the, the ideals, and to where that person becomes that, not just learns about it and tries to mimic those things. Y'all with me so far on the difference there? Okay, so, you know, in, in, in an apprentice relationship, part of what's imparted are skills, but most of what comes is a way of being that did not exist before, right? So, the disciples were apprentices of Jesus, and as those who are searching out for God, and some here who, who, who are following God and others who are trying to figure out what it means to follow God, I want to show you that our faith becomes organic and it becomes real and it grows as we begin to apprentice with the master and not just learn from him. Because we gain more than knowledge. We find more than a manual for living, but instead a, a way of life. And more to that, it doesn't just affect our mind and our hearts and even action. It goes beyond that. It's almost as if Christ's DNA is infused into our DNA. And so we're no longer who we are. We actually get to be a part of, of, of him. And that's, and that's what kind of the scripture teaches us. And so who here has he- have heard of uh, Mozart? Yep, just about everyone, right? Who's here heard of, heard of uh, Beethoven? Yep, just about everyone here. Who's here heard of Joseph Haydn? 
far less people, right? So uh, both Beethoven and Mozart, the two most famous composers in Western history, they both apprenticed with Joseph Haydn. And so it's really interesting because as you study a lot of Beethoven's early work, it sounds a lot like Haydn's work. As, they, as, as, as he trained with him and as he learned from him and as he apprenticed with him, he became Haydn. You know, before he kind of kind of ventured off and, you know, changed music. Like, that, that is, like, and he was able to do that because of the formation that took place in the time he spent with Haydn. Like, that's, that's what, like, an apprenticeship does is that it, you just, you end up becoming that which you are following. So for a long time, is everyone familiar with the nature versus nurture argument? Right? So it's like, it's a common argument. Do we become, are we, are, are we a result of our environment or are we a result of our genetics? It's kind of the, the, the basic uh, premise there of this argument. And I used to think that it was all nurture. That was, my, that was my belief, that we are all 100% solely a product of our environment. And over the years, that, is, that, that belief I had has been confronted in some just scary ways. <laughs> and I found that, oh my gosh, I'm actually, I, I, I do things that I'm just like, that my biology has wired me to do. There's something about like our gen that genetics get passed down that, that creates the things in us. And so I have learned that it's actually not nature or nurture or verse. It's actually both and. That we're products of both our environment and that which has been passed down to us biologically. And so... I want you to think about that because that's going to be an important concept as we, as we venture further. So if I ask you right now, what is a disciple, what comes to mind? So there's going to be a lot of different definitions for different people, right? I'm going to tell you how I answer that question and where I want our community to, to, to become as, as disciples. So for me, a disciple is one who is transformed on the inside. That means they're experiencing healing. They're experiencing character. They're experiencing just all this, this, these amazing things happening on the inside, freedom from all kinds of things. A disciple is also someone who's transforming the outside, helping others find that same healing, that same freedom, serving the lost, loving the world, remembering the forgotten. And a disciple is engaged in community, doing all of these things for the larger community, both locally and globally. So whether you would consider yourself a disciple for a long time or someone who's just trying to figure it out if this disciple thing is for you, I encourage you to acknowledge whatever your current framework for faith and discipleship is. Like, Acknowledge it. It's, it's, it's a good thing. Let's, let's keep it there. But to not let it derail 
this journey going forward because I'm going to present some things that might conflict with your current understanding of faith. And so what happens often is, 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 is when we, we have a certain, like, paradigm, right? We have a certain structure of, of belief, of how the world works, of how faith works, of all these things. And if anything that contradicts that, we just shut it down. Like, it's human nature, right? Because we're, we're safe in our, in, in our box of, of, of definition of things. We're, we're safe in our structures. We're safe in our paradigms. And so my, my challenge uh, this morning and today is to not just toss it away, to allow that conflict to actually just remain, to allow that tension to be there, because it is in that that God is going to form us, that we get to see some lasting change, that we get to see some amazing experiences with him. And so it's okay if something is different. It's okay if something, you're like, I don't really like that or agree with that. Like, that's okay. Hold on to it. Hold on to both. Like, I was just telling Michelle this earlier. One of my struggles uh, for a long time has been, I, can, I see things as black and white, right? It's either this way or it's this way. And over the years, and especially these last couple years, and, and, and that's one of the, one of the best things, Kim has been in my life is helping me to see that you can hold two truths at the same time. Like it doesn't have to be either or. It can't actually be both and. And that just because something contradicts this thing, that doesn't mean you throw that thing away. And it doesn't mean that everything up to this point is negated. And what's for not is like, no, everything to this point brought you here. And so now we just continue this process. Y'all with me so far? Okay. So I'm going to lay out a couple scriptures. And uh, we're going to, um, I have to reference them a little bit. So let's look at Romans. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of course he is. So this is part of a larger argument that Paul is making. It's saying that we are made right with God because of God. Not because of all the things we do. Not because we're good enough. Not because we, we, we do all the right things. We are made right with God because of him. Because he wants it that way. Because of his grace, because of his love. And so we are justified. We are set free by that. And that is a critical understanding to have. Let's go to another scripture. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
This is hard. So we have this tension here, right? So like, the first author lays out a pretty compelling argument. The second author lays out a pretty compelling <laughs> argument. So what are you supposed to do with that? See, often we like, we, we take one thing and it's like, okay, this is like my whole structure and we kind of leave the other part out, right? But what if we didn't do that? What if we were able to actually just wrestle with that tension? What if that tension is there on purpose? We can't leave one without the other. Is faith all that matters or is works all that matter? Is our faith defined by checking off a things we're supposed to do list or is our faith defined by our actions, by how we serve, how much we improve our character? Which one is it? I show you this tension in scripture and I pose these questions not so I can give you the answer. I do this to help start a process of confronting our ideas and allowing God to give us his ideas as we venture down a path of organic faith. And listen, I'm not saying your answers, whatever they may be to these questions, are wrong. What I'm saying is, let's confront it. Let's, let's, let's sit with this tension. Because God and his love is too grand for us to, for us to encapsulate him in our system. God's love and his character is too much for us to just put in a, this is what he means. And if we allow him to, he will bring new life and an ineffable experience to our lives especially to the areas that are feeling dormant right now. So, anybody here have an older sibling? Yeah. It can be hard sometimes. So when I was about 15, I think somewhere around that age, working in the backyard, and all of a sudden, I see a snake in the ground. Now listen, I'm a city boy, all right? <laughs> I don't just play with snakes, okay? I'm not Dan who, is like, who would like find that fun and want to like find out the snake's name. Like, so I am like freaking out right now. There's a snake right here, probably the second one I've seen in my life, like in nature, like, you know. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm frozen. I'm like, Dad! And all I hear is this chuckling <laughs> about 30 feet away. And my brother is in, in his room just rolling on the floor laughing because it was a fake snake. <laughs> and so I go up to pick it up, and I'm like, this thing is rubber. And I just toss it. I was so upset. I was so upset. You know, faith in Christianity can be the same way sometimes. You know, it looks authentic at first because we do the things we're supposed to do. But once you kind of get beyond the surface, we find it's not fully the real thing. There's something missing. So 
I want to tell you about my dog, Duncan. Our dog, Duncan. <laughs> so, so Duncan, this is what Duncan does. He does something wrong, right? And so he's a, he's a Chawini. And uh, don't get excited because <laughs> he just, he is constantly, Meredith, you want him? You, you, you <laughs> So he, he does something wrong, and then I call his name, like, Duncan, what'd you do? And he just immediately expresses shame, like just visible shame, like his face goes down, his shoulders slouch, and he just walks away slowly, knowing fully well that he did something he was not supposed to do. And then he goes to his crate, because he knows that's what's happening next. He's on timeout. And he just sits there for about an hour. And then, 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 like an hour later, he's like, okay, we're good now? I'm forgiven? We can come play? Okay. And then the cycle happens the next day. <laughs> and then the day after. Does this pattern at all sound familiar in our lives? Have you ever experienced a Christian life where it seems like a wash cycle? I do something I know I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do, quote, sin, right? I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel shame. So I go get cleaned. I'm better now. And we start all over again. But, you know, but as long as I do the Christian thing, you know, I go to church, I confess, I try really hard, then it's all good, right? So, like, this has been, does that sound familiar? Not, not just me? Okay, 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 okay. So maybe you don't even get that far, right? Maybe you're one of the ones where you mess up and you just kind of sit in the shame. And that shame just kind of carries you for a while. And you confess and you do other things to make amends, but the shame just sits there, staring at you. You know what that's like? Maybe you don't have certain struggles, at least the ones that aren't as bad as those people around you. And it's like, man, they need to clean themselves up. They need Jesus. And so the whole relationship is basically wrapped up in judgment and condemnation. Generally because we feel better about ourselves because of our own faults or weaknesses because they're not as bad. So, like, if I can tell them they need Jesus, then I feel good about it. So how much of our faith is contained in this machine? Why does legalism, that is forced conformity to a set of standards, seem to creep up constantly? How do we get to a place of grace where our faith produces action instead of our actions determining our faith? How do we get to a place where our faith has grown naturally instead of being forced by our doctrine? How can we be freed from our shame? How can we free others from our judgment? Jeremy, why are you asking me so many questions? Well, pick one, and let's wrestle with it. So as we recognize the machine, let's look at a core component of that machine, which is doctrine. Um, and so doctrine is basically a, a belief system 
And it's like it's a subsystem of like your, your larger belief structure, but it's whatever your kind of spiritual belief system is. But thing is, doctrine doesn't just exist within a denomination or an institution, but within each person that claims any kind of faith or professes any kind of faith. I have a doctrine. Doctrine is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, when that doctrine leads to positive change, freedom, and transform lives, it's a great thing. However, when that doctrine is hardened, when it becomes dogmatic, when it becomes an immovable ideology, that's when it becomes a problem. It becomes problematic because this doctrine, this static set of beliefs that is unchanging, all of a sudden becomes our main conduit for a relationship with God. One more time. When our doctrine hardens and it and nothing can shake it, all of a sudden, it becomes more about maintaining that doctrine, and and, and our relationship is with that doctrine, than actually with God. Actually, like, living out with a doctrine states. Like, that's the irony of it. You know, I, um, you know, life with God is, is not static. Like it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Because he is constantly moving, doing things. And if we can break out of this faith wash cycle, we can, we can find freedom and healing and life with God that is far from trying to make ourselves clean, trying to make ourselves worthy, trying to make ourselves good enough because his grace has already made it so. It already has. And so we don't have to do it. We have to walk with him so that he can just make it so. But it doesn't just stop here, though, right? It's not, as Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace. If our faith is real, something begins to happen as a result of it. The action that James talks about, right? So how do we produce the character and action we want to see in our lives without forcing it or getting into this wash cycle? without it creating a system that keeps us in perpetual shame. Like, y'all, there's something wrong. There's something wrong if our faith keeps us in a constant state of shame. Like, that's when we have to confront our doctrine with the real-life Jesus, who, like, pulled us out of all of that and, like, constantly was pulling people out of that. Like, that was his constant thing. And so if something, if our faith, if our doctrine is keeping us in that place, maybe we need to look at something. Maybe we need to address something. Maybe we need to examine what we've been believing this whole time. Let's go back to this idea of an organism. So any biological substance can only create what its genetic code allows it to create. Right? Does that make sense? I failed biology, but I, like, I get that part. Okay, so we're all there. And yet sometimes our doctrine, we're, we're trying to make cypress trees out of apple seeds. And so 
To become the people our faith calls us to requires a change in our genetic code. It's not something we can just do. And that's what Christ provides. His DNA is infused with our DNA. And that's how we become more like him. But it's not something that happens at this one point of our life. That, that transfusion happens as we live a life with him. When we break out of our habits of trying to force ourselves to be like him. So let's leave from perpetual shame or judgment to walk toward perpetual progress. Because that's what it is. Let's shift our view from perfection to a lifetime of refining. Because it's not about perfection. And this is done by shifting our relationship with God that's based on a current immovable set of beliefs to a relationship that's based on friendship. So let's talk about friendship. For some, the idea of a friendship with God sounds a bit too For some, it's hard to imagine a life with God in this manner as like a friend. It almost seems wrong. Like, he's God. He, he's, 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 he's too big. I, I can't be that informal with him. For some, you've embraced this concept of friend, but it still remains as a concept. And we haven't actually, like, had that friendship. Yet, we see people in Scripture that were considered and counted as friends of God. Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, all considered friends of God. So was it specific to them? No. Jesus called his disciples his friends. So this is the thing. In an apprenticeship relationship, it's master and servant. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. You are my friends. Something changed because you're my companion. This relationship, this friendship is where our DNA is altered. See, our spiritual practices, our devotions, our readings, our prayers, they facilitate this relationship. They are not the relationship. They are the means, not the end. And when we drop the ball, and it feels like we've let everyone down. When we've done everything wrong, and we're like, I, and, and all that shame is coming down on us, and everyone is yelling at us, and mostly ourselves are yelling at us. God isn't the one in the crowd yelling at you because you dropped the ball to win the championship. God is the parent in the front yard. It's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Let, let's try it again. Hey, try this this time. Like we, we, we feel like we're trying to win a game when God's supposed to play with his son or daughter. Have you ever had a friend that when you see her, you, you just feel better, more at peace? Have you ever had that friend that no matter what you told them about yourself or, or what you did, they never judged you and they just listened? 
Have you ever had that friend that encouraged you and challenged you and just made you want to be better? That celebrated you when you rose to the challenge and supported you when you fell flat on your face? Like, you know what it's like to have that kind of friend? To like just, that's just like a rock in your life? I mean, there's like, there's nothing like it. Like that friend is just like, it's the first one you call. It's the one you want to be with the whole time. It's the one where you don't even have to try. Like, you know, you got those friendships where it's just like, so I'm the type, I, I, don't, I don't talk for a long, like, my, my relationships, I'm very, so I'm very introverted. You can't really tell on Sundays, <laughs> I am. And, and so often with a lot of my friends, we're kind of just hanging out in a very, you know, introverted kind of way. <laughs> but there are some friends, and so if, if you know anything about introverts, you know that, like, Sometimes we struggle with having, like, long conversations. <laughs> um, I was not trying to suggest me, like, man, I know. <laughs> um, and then I have some friends where I don't even have to try. Like, we will talk for six, seven, eight hours because it's just, like, because we have a common, like, thing we both love or a common thing that we're both, like, into, and you can just, just go forever. It's just easy. It's just fun your friend. If you have had a friendship like that, you've been given a glimpse into this friendship with God. A glimpse into what that can be. But it can be so much more. If you haven't had a friendship like that, it's time you experience a new type of relationship. When our faith is founded in this type of relationship, an apprenticeship, a friendship, it can't help but grow. That's this whole idea about or organic faith. When we live this type of life, we don't have to make it grow. It can't help but grow. Guess what? My grass and my house can't help but grow right now. And it's really annoying. But all the sunshine and all the rain, what's it going to do? It's going to grow. No matter what I do, it's going to grow. It's the same thing with our faith. Our lives can't help but be changed when we foster this kind of relationship. Okay, practical tip. On a piece of paper or a journal, write down answers to these questions. Ooh, I did the practical tip this morning, so grammar isn't the best. <laughs> what belief system is preventing me from having a relationship with God that's based on friendship. And so this is like one of the harder ones because it's just like you have to actually look at what are my belief systems. See, we don't usually have to think about that because they're just our belief system. We just kind of live within them, right? Once you do that, write down two or three areas in life that would change if you just could cultivate a relationship like that. Now, if you're saying you already have this type of relationship, I would challenge you to consider what parts of your, your life are still static and re-examine this question with that particular part in mind. Number two. 
look at one or two areas that seem to stay in this wash cycle. Mess up, ask for forgiveness, get clean, repeat. Spend time this week with a trusted friend about those things. A trusted friend who won't condemn you, who won't try to fix you, who won't just tell you you need Jesus, but a friend you can just be real with because it's not about the shame. And then as you do that, have a conversation with God in the same way. Like it's going to be like kind of the first way we kind of start to do this. Like, okay, so then how do I have this, how do I talk with God in that same way? And then just spend time and listen and just be present and just look for him. And he's going to speak into that. And then it's not about what we did or didn't do or how we messed up or all this kind of stuff. It's about that. It's about the relationship. As you begin to talk more openly about it, you seek the power of Christ to transform you, for his DNA to be infused into you. And then that way you don't have to fix it. It does it all by itself.